Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Diplomacy and Foreign Policy. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon, and I'm thrilled to have with us on the show today、uh, Yang Jiao, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Florida, Go Gators,、uh, who's doing his PhD in the、uh, Department of Anthropology on、uh, with a specialty on Ghana. And the reason why I am so excited to have、uh, to have him on the show today is because、uh, Yang Jiao wrote this wonderful piece on Deborah Browdigam's blog, China Africa Real Story,、uh, really highlighting the complexities of、uh, the illegal immigration and the illegal. Mining question that's been going on, and which really has become something of a well. Earlier this year, it was a crisis. It seems that it's resolved now. So we're going to really take advantage、uh, of his presence today on the show. As always, we have three topics.、Uh, first, we're going to talk about, of course, is President、uh, Obama's visit to Africa, and.、Uh, Some of the memes that have come up in the past week of of his visit, and certainly China has been one of them. And then we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Yang Zhou's.、Uh Sorry, Yang Jiao's research、uh, about the the question of illegal mining in Ghana,、uh, and there's really two 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 sides to the story. One is the what's happening in Ghana, and the other one now is what's happening in Guangxi Province back in China. And the New York Times did an excellent piece on this, and really highlighting the complexities of the story. It's far more far more complex than most people give it credit to. And then finally, we're going to round out on really a discussion on who are the Chinese who are in Ghana, but also the economic migrants that are now populating. Almost every African country, and、uh, once again taking advantage of Yang Jiao's、uh, his presence on our show today. So,、uh, Yang Jiao, are you ready to go? Yes. Excellent. Okay. So, Kobus, let's start right off the bat with、uh, with President Obama. It's his second trip while President of the United States to to Africa. This time he went to Senegal, Tanzania, and、uh, South Africa. He's in your neighborhood today.、Um, you know, it's been a difficult trip for the president.、Uh, not only, of course, has he been dogged by the question of you know too little, too late. The you know the, the Chinese, the new Chinese president Xi Jinping, he bolted off to China right off right after he was into office.、Um, But also, he's been dogged by the fact that, you know, he's he's traveling to South Africa in the shadow of what looks like the imminent passing of Nelson Mandela, or at least the fact that he's in critical care and the the the, the vigil that's going on there. He also、uh, came while he was、uh, back home in Washington. There were a number of Supreme Court、uh, decisions, so that basically sucked up all the media oxygen in the U.S. So he didn't get a lot of headlines in the U.S. for for his trip. So when we look now back at the trip that、uh, Obama has taken, he's still got a couple more days there. What's your thought on how it's gone so far? Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, kind of、um, he, he, you know, his, his presence obviously in South Africa is, is drawing a lot of headlines. He also drew some protests、um, from student groups who are upset by the U.S.'s、um, stance on Palestine. Um, you know, kind of、um, the my my feeling is though that it wasn't a particularly widespread protest in terms of of you know normal South Africans I think don't necessarily share or care about that particular issue,、um, but、uh, you know I、um, as as in terms of his、um, of talking about China、um, like the the. The visit has generally been characterised both in the US and in Africa as trying to catch up with China,、um, and you know, kind of Obama has, on, with the one hand, kind of dismissed that, and with the other hand, made some kind of hidden, you know, kind of hidden comments that might relate to China,、um, and you know, he seems to be playing it down, down the middle. 
You know, Young Zhao, the, the, one of the key issues, and I, I, I was invited this week on a number of different media outlets to comment. And uh-huh. I, and I, one of the things that I pointed out was there was a very big disconnect in the U.S. message. So, for example, uh, he said that he was going to talk about trade. Uh, but yet right. he didn't go to any of the commercial centers. He didn't go to Nigeria. He didn't go to Nairobi. Uh, well, he did go to South Africa, of course, but not the, the major hubs like Ethiopia as well. Uh, uh-huh. so, but And then he wants to talk about democracy. And I guess one of the things that I pointed out was there's a lack of message consistency on the part of the U.S., but when Xi Jinping went, uh, their mm-hmm. message consistent. They're absolutely driving right. on trade alone. They don't talk about democracy. They don't talk about open markets. They don't talk about uh, human rights. They just simply talk about trade. Um, what's mm-hmm. your reading in terms of the message that you think that both Chinese and Africans are receiving with respect to Obama's trip to Africa? I, I think Obama uh, visited um, Africa very briefly in 2009 for like one day in in Ghana. 20 hours, in fact, not even a day. <laughs> 20 hours, not even a day. Right. So for me, I think I think um, Africa is, is not a focus for um, American you know, foreign policy, at least so far. It's, it's not a focus. So I think U.S. is taking this opportunity – to um, first, you know, uh, because Bill Clinton and 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 George W. Bush had made multiple, ent- uh, I mean, uh, visits to Africa. So I think they they're trying to, you know, um, build the record, comparable record for Obama, and um, also um, they're promoting this, um, you know, message of you know uh, partnership with America for, you know, democracy building and, and um, trade and investments. Um, so for, 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 for the Chinese media, they think Obama visited Africa, but it's, it's not a, like, you know, U.S. does not have like a systematic uh, platform or um, consistent uh, scheme, you yeah. know, to... To engage Africa in terms of in terms of um, you know um, economic development, although, although U.S. is is a traditionally is is a big donor for for um, you know aid in in Africa, much larger than China, of course. Well, it's interesting right. you bring up the the Chinese media. What's evolved over the past week in terms of Chinese media coverage on this was at first there was not much coming out. I mean, you could see that the Chinese were waiting to kind of see what the tone and the message was that that Obama was going to deliver, waiting to see if there were going to be any swipes against the Chinese, as Hillary Clinton did when she was in Senegal uh, last time while she was Secretary of State. Uh, Obama with, withheld his fire up until, the, I think, the last day or two. He, he came out with a, with a very veiled kind of swipe against Chinese labor issues. But so the Chinese have come out and said, you know, we're not competing with the Americans in Africa. And I almost think a little bit, it's kind of like, you know, oh, this is so cute that the, that the U.S. president finally made it to Africa. You know, of course, we've been sending, you know, ministers and heads of state and premiers uh, to, to Africa dozens and dozens of times every year. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Chinese have taken a what I think is a very interesting approach to say we're trying to defuse any sense of competition. So while the Western media is talking about, you know, that U.S. has to catch up, the U.S. is in China's shadow in Africa, almost this very competitive narrative. The Chinese media is coming out saying there's no competition. We're, we're talking about two very different things. You know, in terms of the political structure, because uh, the media in China is really uh, – is really <laughs> controlled by by the uh, um, uh, communist party. So 
it's not really uh, very much um, criticizing of the government um, on 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 you know on these issues um, unless there's something you know um, like 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 you said um, last time uh, when Hillary Clinton visited Africa visited Senegal hinted that that Africa doesn't need a kind of a new colonial um, partners uh, like you know China. Um, she, I, I don't think she she mentioned that you know um, by name. No, she didn't by mention name, China no, by she, name. But she, everybody knew right, in the room who right. she was talking about. <laughs> well, well, Kobus, let's let's talk about the media narratives that Yang Zhao is bringing up here, and mm-hmm. you know that, and it looks like the African media, the Chinese media, and the U.S. and Western media are all taking kind of a different perspective on this. Uh, you're a, a media studies specialist, partic- you know, and particularly related to Asian media in Africa. So when we look at the narratives that are that are coming out, uh, how do you read this? Yeah, you know, kind of there's definitely, a, a, I think, a predominance of a catch-up, you know, narrative that's coming out. Um, it was interesting, um, you know, some of the the People's Daily um, quoted a, um, one of my former colleagues at the Center for Chinese Studies, um, you know, kind of also Ross Anthony, who, um, who also, you know, kind of cast the the visit in terms of, of a certain amount of catch-up and then ended up saying – that what's actually needed in Africa is for is is for China and and the U.S. to be competitors um, and to you know kind of to to drive better bargains, which I thought was a very very valuable thing to say, because the official line from the Chinese government was that the U.S. and China are partners, that they partners in in in, in driving the development in Africa, which for me is a much more problematic way of, of of couching it. I think Africa doesn't need development partners. Africa needs competitors who drive, you know, kind of who drive hard bargains. And particularly Africa needs to drive hard bargains with a, a variety of people who who are competing for their services and their goods. Um, so that was interesting. I think in the US, you know, the, the narrative t- was tinged with a little bit of like paranoia, you know, like um, the, you know, the, this kind of feeling uh, you know that oh the US is it's they're behind they're kind of losing the competition they need to run faster that kind of vibe. Um, what was interesting for me as well is to look at you know obviously the the you know kind of you pointed out that the countries that Obama chose um, are not necessarily the big the big kind of economic powerhouses. I think he himself made the point that it, that they tended to focus on on uh, well established democracies um, and particularly mentioning. Kenya, because the the case with the International Criminal Court is still pending in Kenya, I think, you know, kind of he he didn't feel comfortable going there. Um, You know, I'm sure that he doesn't want to be photographed you know, shaking the hand of someone who might, you know, in, in, in a few months appear at the International Criminal Court. Well, yeah. I think that that's a big issue. Well, well, it's one of the issues that gives the Chinese a lot more flexibility in Africa because they can go to Ethiopia and not face the, the question of being hypocrites in terms of, obviously, Ethiopia not being a democracy. Uh, security concerns prevent well, them from going to Nigeria. I mean, you know, kind of sorry to interrupt, but the, you know, the Chinese do pay the price in the in the bigger scheme for being characterized over and over and over and over as be as as the friends of repressive governments. You yes. know, so they they lose in the big scheme. They do. Uh, let's you know this idea. You know, I, I'll take the the point of view here as the naysayer. You know, this this Chinese you know concept of partners in Africa. Um, to me, that's just a bunch of BS because it's pure rhetoric. Uh, the fact is that, you know, there's very little precedent for the Americans and the Chinese to work together. We've 
seen some collaboration, you know, on, on certain aid programs. We've seen it in South Sudan, uh, certainly mm-hmm. in anti-piracy operations off of Somalia as part China's participating in the multinational force there. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the Chinese and, 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 and the African uh, Chinese and Americans are, you know, are largely exporting oil out of Africa. Um, but they have very different agendas. And so my thought, and, and Yang, Yang Zhao, I'm going to kind of disagree with you a little bit here in uh-huh. that the, you know, I think the American foreign policy in Africa is actually pretty clear. It's just focused on military. Uh, there's some, what the estimates are now about 12 drone bases that are, that are now being established in Africa, uh, setting up, uh, you know, the, the United States military has been active in Libya. It's been active in Mali. Uh-huh. Uh, it supports, uh, you know, a billion dollars a year to Egypt. Um, and it's the militarization of American foreign policy. And that's certainly not China's agenda. So they're in some mm-hmm. ways on two very distinct tracks where China is there for economic development, uh, mm-hmm. for its own natural resources and a mercantilist foreign policy, and the Americans are, are focusing more and more on anti-terrorism. Uh, what's your thought on that? Yes, um, American foreign policy, yes. Uh, you know, it, security and, and, and anti-terrorism is, is, a, is a big issue and is a big focus. So it, I think it's, it's trying to, um, you know, keep its hegemony uh, around the world. So um, definitely it, it, it needs to uh, remain in a you know, um, remain its 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 role of overseeing this uh, this you know security uh, risks uh, in in Africa. So that's why I think they have set up a, a central uh, commander uh, in Central Africa. Yeah, I Afri- think Africa, Africa. And and in terms of in, in terms of the focus of their foreign policy, you know, Chinese um, foreign policy, you know. States that they, they do not have any conditions attached to their aid, so it's their basic principle not to uh, mess up with the domestic politics, or uh, be concerned with with you know uh, local um, governance um, and how how local governance should develop their economies. Um, so I think I think America is is trying to promote. This 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 package of democracy and um, you know market economy, as well as uh, you know um, a security focus on mm. on this this campaign and to to you know to fight terrorism. And as you know that in in several African countries there there's still uh, you know um, terrorist groups um, uh, involved. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kobus uh, Yang Jiao talks about a package of trade and democracy together. And I thought what was interesting about this trip is that the background of the trip, of course, is in the Edward Snowden affair, um, where the Chinese have done a very effective job at, at, at kind of trying to discredit the United States on its Internet freedom agenda. Uh, Russia has rebuffed uh, Obama. So mm-hmm. Obama went in. Uh, you know, f- with headwinds coming from that, that increasingly the bloom may be falling off the rose of American foreign policy and its idealism. And Kobus, what I found so interesting was when he came to Senegal and when he was in, when he's in South Africa, you mentioned that there were protests. Who, hard to tell if those protests are widespread, but what was definite was the crowds were far, far less than his last visit. Uh, he comes off of a visit to the Brandenburg Gate in Germany, where, you know, he went in 2008 and had 250,000 people 
you'll watch him speak. And now there were 4,500 people. And so the context of Snowden in China, Snowden in Russia, uh, protests in South Africa, diminished crowds in, uh, in Senegal, and, and also in, in the Brandenburg Gate, one has to wonder if the United States, it, and it's what you've talked about, the, the, the durability of its pop culture influence, its soft power influence, and this idealism that the U.S. brings, is that possibly now coming to an end or at least diminishing? Because the public surveys that we've looked at over the years have always put the United States ahead of China. But now I wonder in the context of drone wars, in the context of NSA spying, is that finally starting to dip into the public opinion uh, against the United States? Well, I think that's, you know, that, that's been a t- trajectory that's been running for a while. Um, you know, in, in Africa, there's been a lot of concern, you know, from, from both from, uh, you know, kind of democratic governments, but also from undemocratic governments that, that, that the U.S. might be pushing for regime change, which is obviously a word that, that came from, from the Iraq situation. Um, you know, so, so I think, you know, the, the, the gradual militarization of U.S. foreign policy after 9-11, uh, you know, kind of that, that's been a long story and that, that's been a, the, the effects of that has been, has been felt in Africa as well, I think. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, the Pew Research Center did, did a survey in South Africa this week um, where, they, where they found that, um, that, you know, 72% of South Africans and 71% of South Africans, like 72% of South Africans felt that the U.S. has a very big influence on South Africa's economy. And 71% felt that China has a big influence. And that... Um, I think, uh, like 67% felt that the U.S. influence is, is benign and 58% felt that the Chinese influence is benign. So the U.S. is still ahead, but that, that gap is, is shrinking. Um, you know, and I think it might also, you know, part of that might have to do with, uh, with the fact that it's now also obviously Obama's second term. Um, and, you know, kind of people are used to him. You know, so he is he, kind of symbolic power as this kind of African president, first African-American president. People, you know, that just doesn't have the same power anymore. Um, and I think, you know, for political reasons in the U.S., Obama, I think, found it expedient to underplay his African connections, obviously because he was up against birthers and, you know, the, the, you know, there was so much like birth certificate issues, you know, kind of around his presidency, particularly in his first term. And, but I think the fallout of that has been that Africa feels a little bit dissed, um, you know, and that they, the, you know, kind of the, the, the playing down of his African connection obviously was, it was felt in Africa as well. Yeah. I'll make one, one final point on this, which I'd like to get Yang Zhao's kind of take on it that both China and the United States, the, the, the largest source of trade between, uh, with Africa, focuses on oil. And mm-hmm. the United States, though, in the next five to ten years, is expected to become the largest oil producer in the world, uh, even to eclipse uh, Saudi Arabia uh, with the development of shale and fracking and whatnot. And so I wonder uh-huh. if when we look at – if the United States does, does not have the need to import as much Nigerian, Angolan, uh, and, and, and another oil from, from across the continent, if that will eventually diminish the American interest even more in Africa, uh, while the Chinese – are on the process right now of urbanizing another 250 million people in the next 10 years. So the demand for natural resources for China in that urbanization plan is going to be just unending. It's going to be massive. So China's engagement right. in Africa will be will continue to be very, very high out of necessity, whereas the United States may decide, you know, 
we we're going to be more or less energy self sufficient, so we don't need to to engage in these very complicated parts of the world. So we'll back off. What's your reading as a Chinese in the United States uh, reading both media from from both parts? Is is there some? What's your thought on that theory? Well, I I think it has its merits. I think、uh, China certainly needs、uh, you know a, a lot of resources and energy to、uh, you know. To feed its、uh, growth in the in the future, and、um, uh, and last week I think Sino、uh, Sino Petrol or China、uh, National uh, Petrol uh, just purchased another、uh, concession from、uh, Angola from a uh, American uh, oil company,、uh, making it、um, having like fifteen、uh, percent of 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 that、um, concession now. So. Um, definitely, it, it it will continue to、uh, need to、um, import、uh, much more oil and from from these、um, you know big exporters like Angola and and Sudan、um, and South Sudan. But in terms of、uh, energy strategy, I, I think the、uh, U.S. is also exploring other areas.、Um, for example, this、um, I don't know the term for it. It's 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 kind of、um, natural gas.、Mm-hmm. Um, But it's 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 a non-traditional、uh, natural gas、it's、that the is shale, a, yeah, sh- right, right, right.、It's、the shale and the fracking. Ah,、uh, the fracking, yes, yes. So it's I I I saw I saw a chart,、um, you know, describing the share of 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 the of the fracking natural gas.、Um, it, it's increasing、uh, in terms of other、yeah. uh, traditional uh, uh, you know source. So I I think it's. Diversifying its energy、uh, source, and so that America could be,、uh, you know, more,、uh, you know, independent of, of, you know, external、uh, producers of, of, of oil and gas,、mm-hmm. so that it can, yes.、Um, So, Kobus, I'm going to give you the last、um, word on this topic.、Uh, before you respond, just very quickly, and you can wrap up your your comment with my question, is you know typically when the Chinese go go to Africa and, and any country, whether it's these big state visits or others, they always have these grand announcements of signing this deal and signing that deal, and that's typical Chinese foreign policy kind of mo. Uh, you know, presumably this this trip that Obama went, he was tacking along with a whole bunch of business executives. He said this was a trade delegation. I haven't seen any announcements of big deals. Of course, the U.S. president cannot compel American business the same way that the Chinese president can force state-owned enterprises to do business. So, when you look back at the trip so far, and of course, it's not over yet.、Um, do you see this as a game changer? Does this alter the narrative in any way? Uh, about the U.S. in Africa vis-à-vis the Chinese.、Um, you know what? I think、um, just before we started recording, I, I double-checked the, the papers again, and there seems to be an actual announcement. The, there's two. In the first place, he is going to、um, ha- apparently have a summit of African leaders in Washington next year, and he is also he was talking about a seven billion dollar、um, electricity generation deal.、Um, so let me just see. It's、um, It's in a bunch of countries: Liberia, Nigeria.、Um, it's also working with Uganda and Mozambique,、um, and it's、uh, getting, I think, about five billion dollars from the U.S. Export Import Bank,、um, and then also General Electric is apparently involved. So,、um, so there's very little details about what kind of electricity it's going to be, where it's going to be, what it's going to be. It's, it's there's been. 
you know, only this kind of very bare bones kind of announcement. So we'll have to see what that is. Okay. Um, if, if that happens, it's probably will have a big impact. Um, but I think in terms of, um, in terms of the future of oil, you know, um, you have to keep in mind that China is also looking at fracking. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, China is actually moving into, into actually frac- fr- fracking, um, based exploration as we speak. So last week, the oil minister of Nigeria said that she thinks that more and more Nigeria should focus on exporting oil to the African market because that they're not, because the, they being OPEC and Nigeria particularly are not sure that Asian demand Demand is gonna is gonna hold in the long term, so you know so that that might yeah that you know that that's very interesting. Um, so it seems like Africa has this kind of window within which they can actually get their development up and running, um, you know, and in order to kind of to to make it self self sustaining. Yeah. Uh, before before the demand runs out. Well, I would definitely keep an eye on oil as the one of the barometers of the relationship between these great powers in Africa. Uh, and we'd like to hear from you on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, obviously, the topic du jour uh, for the past three days or four days has been uh, Obama's visit. We've got 80,000 followers on our Facebook page now, who many of them are commenting on this. And so it's a great way to follow uh, a little bit of a, a slice of public opinion so that uh, we'd love to hear from you. We've got three or four posts up on Obama's visit and some of the things that he's saying at uh, China. Uh, that's it. It's at uh, Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And one of the posts that we put up uh, last week was actually by Yang Jiao. And, you know, we're going to go to your, your specialty here, which is uh, Chinese illegal gold mining in Ghana. Now, one of the things, Yang Jiao, that we've talked about over the past few months is that this really has become one of the defining stories of the Sino-African relationship of 2013. Of course, there was the visit of Xi Jinping, but this one in many ways uh, has come to represent so many of the different issues that complicate the China-Africa relationship. Uh, when it comes to uh, the presence of, of merchants and entrepreneurs, of illegal labor, of mining, of lo- relationships with locals. And mm-hmm. on, uh, on Deborah Brodigan's blog at China Africa Real Story, you detailed in, in just wonderful, wonderful specificity about the complexity of this relationship in Ghana. And I was wondering if you could summarize some of the key points of your post for those who didn't have a chance to read it and really talk about the relationship that Chinese illegal migrants in Ghana have with in with with corrupt local officials in terms of facilitating their movement in the country. That was one of the things I found so interesting. The Ghanaian president, uh, Mahama, you know, uh, launched a crackdown on illegal mining activities um, in, in, in mid-May. So by, by early June, you, at least uh, 200 something, uh, 200 Chinese uh Illegal miners were were detained by the um, this uh, task force. Very interestingly, uh, the majority of these um, Chinese miners are from uh, the same um, province in China, which is Guangxi province, and um, and many of them are from a, a county called Shangling uh, County, and uh, this is a, a traditionally gold producing uh, place in China, um, and. Um, they started to uh, arrive in Ghana in large numbers um, since 2006. Basically, um, you know what you have is is a typical Chinese uh, small family business model here. So um, you know 
ten or eight uh, miners will, you know, group a company and then, you know, they hire workers from this Shangling uh, County, and then br- bring in th- bring them in in Ghana. And um, one how, of the focus. But how yes. do they get into Ghana? That's the question. Is that right? And, and is that do they just buy an airplane ticket, get a visa at the Ghanaian embassy in Beijing, and they're on their way? It's very much uh, difficult for them to um, to get a visa in in in, in Ghanaian be- uh, embassy in Beijing. So there, there's they rely on a, a lot of brokers in China and also in Ghana who specializes in in visa uh, preparation. So in terms of Ghana, you know, they have uh, contact with uh, certain immigration officers in Ghana uh, that they can get them on arrival visas uh, in advance. So what they what the brokers do is to um, prepare these uh, on arrival visas and then. Uh, send those uh, visas um, back to China if possible, or they will send in some brokers at the airport when the uh, Chinese workers are arriving. And then what they do is the, they just enter the um, arrival hall uh, with the cooperation of uh, with with some of the uh, um, Ghanaian um, airport immigration officers. So they were let in to the uh, arrival hall and then pick up these um, newly arrived um, Chinese miners so and present them the uh, uh, on-arrival visa. So that's how many of them uh, were, you know, uh, entered Ghana. Did they overstay um, their visa or did they have actual functioning papers? Well, on, on arrival, they have um, uh, functioning papers. But um, since they were brought straightly to um, the mining sites after they arrived, so usually their passports were kept in the hands of uh, the man, their their boss or um, or the brokers. So uh, they just start working, uh, and um, you know uh, they don't have much mobility uh, at the mining sites. And uh, the, the broker usually you know uh, you renew their visas um, you know uh, before uh, they're going to leave. Or you know intermittently, um, but not uh, you know on time. So many of them have overstayed their visas. And another issue is that they're not they do not have work permits as uh, Ghana as immigration law has uh, you know required. They 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 have to have a work permit to to actually work in Ghana. But you know um, it, it's it's impossible to get a work permit because there are certain quota required uh, for such businesses, uh, foreign businesses. Certainly, the number of uh, Chinese miners is much greater than than the quota. So uh, there's absolutely no way for all of them to get work permits. Yeah, so they were definitely, their status was illegal. Kobus, you know, it's interesting when I was reading Yang Zhao's piece, it brought me back to our conversation that we had last year about uh, Ill- illegal uh, timber and logging and, and the artisanal um, logging business in Congo, which we talked about, and how uh, you know corrupt Congolese officials were giving the wrong types of certificates to the to the Chinese, and they were taking advantage of this. And I guess my point is that the Chinese activities, I- illegal or otherwise, that are that are questionable, couldn't happen without the complicit support of of local officials. 
And, and, and what Yang Jiao pointed out in his research was how many of these mines were always attached to a Ghanaian uh, either boss or company for, for legal reasons. And so I just – I think it's interesting because it, it breaks down the narrative that the Chinese are simply there on their own acting uh, you know, autonomous from, uh, from Ghanaians. Yeah, and this is this is the narrative that you saw a lot in the Ghanaian press. Um, you know, I, I read journalists, you know, literally saying that oh, they arrive at the airport and the next day they're in the bush digging just on their own. You know, kind of and, and completely kind of erasing this kind of local connection that they have because you know, in, in all of these cases, they need to they need to have some kind of some Ghanaian who has a license, and then they and then officially they are partnering with this Ghanaian. You know, kind of and importing. Um, equipment and so on, you know, in, in order, you know, kind of to work with this Ghanaian on their license. And then the Ghanaian gets a certain percentage. Um, and when the police actually cracked down, you know, according to the New York Times, um, a lot of these Chinese people were saying like, no, but we have licenses, you know, we have the papers. Um, and then it turned out none of them, none of those papers were actually valid. Um, I actually wanted to ask um, Yang Zhao, the, um, you know, this relates to the, you know, one of the main points of criticism for, for these Chinese miners is that they mess up the environment. Um, mm-hmm. and in your, in your, um, piece, you mentioned that in a lot of cases that they thought that they were outsourcing the, the environmental rehabilitation to local, local groups and that these local groups ended up not actually rehabilitating, you know, kind of mm-hmm. this, this, uh, environment that the Chinese actually frequently paid for, apparently. I wonder if you could expand on that like what what was going on there what is their relationship with the local communities like okay so their their local shareholders uh, or stakeholders for example the land owner or local chief that uh, these chinese uh small mining companies that that um you know uh, uh entered agreement with and also there are local officials for example in the local uh, branch of the um mining commissions and uh, local police chief and local immigration officers. When when the Chinese come to these uh, mining towns uh, in Ghana, they will enter agreement with 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 the local chief and and uh, agree on the share uh, percentage of their uh, gold uh, gold yield. Um, so usually uh, there's an item for the uh, rehabilitation for the for the land. So they would pay. A lump sum money to the local uh, uh, chief, or uh, they will pay. You know, um, they 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 will uh, agree to do the rehabilitation work uh, after after the mining because you know of of the the sheer number of of mining uh, Chinese miners uh, increased since uh, two thousand six. You know, um, f- fewer and fewer uh, Chinese miners actually. Care or or have the time to um, to do this uh, rehabilitation job, so they 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 usually pay it in advance uh, in the, when they sign the agreement with the local uh, local partner uh, or the local chief. But you know th- these local elites uh, in Ghana usually they they only pay for uh, whoever is uh, uh, growing cocoa or other crops on that land uh, one you know once and then. They will probably keep the money, 
Yeah. They, they now you you mentioned that you, the mining has been going on pretty much since 2006. It was when the early the first kind of reports came out. And since that time the the estimates of the number of people there were as high as 12,000 Chinese miners that were there. Um well, uh, the, you know, the earliest case that I uh I know of is is 1997, uh when there are very few Chinese in in Ghana uh involved in mining. But uh, you know we're we're really seeing a uh, you know a big wave of of um, mining uh, entrepreneurs and miners arriving since 2006 because of this um, the skyrocketing gold prices after yeah. the economic. It was crisis. really a, a gold rush in some ways, right? But right. so, what do you think prompted? So it's been going on, okay, 1997, 1996, and then 2006. Obviously, it's been going on for for quite some time. Uh-huh. What, why did why did the government crack down now? Was there was it just getting to the point where it was politically uh-huh. embarrassing for 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 Accra to to let this go? Was there uh, domestic political pressure? What was the the spark that that uh, instigated well, the crackdown? Actually, this kind of crackdown has been going on for several years. Uh, it's it, this one is is not the like the first. You can see a lot of uh, reports on. Crackdown and, and and detaining of of Chinese miners back in 2010 and 2009 in in some of the Ghanaian uh, um, news sources. So so it's it's been going on for a while, and um, the spark um, of this 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 time, uh, I think um, I heard an interesting insight from a local source, uh, Chinese entrepreneur uh, in in Accra. Um, he is uh, analyzing this uh, against the background of of uh, you know the the domestic politics uh, in Ghana, as we know that you know uh, the current president Mahama was real, uh, you know, elected was elected after uh, the late president uh, Atamils died. So, and th- there's been accusations of you know of his um, election. So, and the case was um, processed by the uh, 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 high court. So. There's been a lot of tension between the two, the ruling party uh, um, in DC and also the 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 other party NPP. His reading is that you know the government uh, choose this time you know to attack uh, illegal mining is to you know um, revert the attention, media attention uh, to his case um, and 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 the the pressure on the ruling party. You know that there's a lot of illegal mining activities going on for for all these years, and and why, uh, you know, this is like the first uh, uh, big big operation. Yeah, um, and this was the first time that the deportations occurred because if I recall from the prior crackdowns, they would arrest the miners and then they were released. Uh, whereas this one, this one, I think what would force this into really crisis mode was the fact that they said, no, no, you're out, get out. And, and that was something that <laughs> no, was very no. different uh, in, than in, the past ones. In previous uh, crackdowns, uh, there are also people who were deported uh, after they were detained. Okay. So uh, usually the, the, the boss um, of these miners will just pay the fine uh, to uh, the local immigration and then uh, purchase tickets for them to go back. But... Um, the, the, the next day, uh, another group of uh, workers will arrive. So, and they and some of the these Chinese uh, mining entrepreneurs are complaining that the you know the immigration of 
the immigration service in Ghana is actually, you know, is um, uh, is getting the fine at, at the same time getting, uh, you know, um, uh, bribes from them at the same time. So, so that's that. It, in in a sense, they they want to keep this uh, illegal miners uh, coming so that they can continue uh, to get make money. Continue to make money. It's worth noting, of course, that you know the Ghanaian government made it very clear that this was not a targeted crackdown on Chinese. Although the Chinese were the the largest group picked up in the in 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 the security uh, sweep, uh, there were Nigerians, there were Malayans, there were a number mm-hmm. of different nationalities that were picked up. Right. In this. So I just want to put that, although the numbers were smaller, Kobus, what what we're hearing from Yang Zhao is is again picking up on on one of the consistent themes that we've talked about for for a number of years here is the question of governance and 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 whose fault is this at the end of the day? Um, sure, the Chinese migrants who are there illegally, um, if they're caught, they should be deported, in my view. That's just the risk of being an illegal immigrant. Uh, but as Yang Zhao says, there's an incentive for, for, for corrupt uh, immigration officials to keep this going. They're making money both ways. Um, and at the end of the day, it's up to each country to enforce its, its, its labor laws, its environmental laws, and its uh, immigration laws. And those seem to be weaknesses in Ghana, which allowed this to, to happen. So we come back to, remember, the BBC Africa debate where you and I were talking about in the context of Zambia that good governance is really the solution to these problems in the long run. Yeah, and you know, that brings us actually to quite to an American position, actually, because obviously the American government has been pushing for good governance for a long time. Um, you know, kind of, it's, the governance, I think, doesn't only come through the, through governing the bureaucracy, but it also comes through governing the, the kind of, the methods of cracking down. Um, and I wanted to, to ask Yang Zhao, actually, you know, kind of one of the issues that became very controversial in this, um, in this whole process, was the violence of the crackdown, um, and you know we've seen the New York Times reporting a lot of um, a lot of Chinese on a lot of Chinese social media alleging that the that the the, um, the crackdown was very violent. Um, and there was a whole bunch of pictures that circulated on Chinese social media um, of, you know, of highly injured Chinese miners. Um, we posted some of those on our Facebook page, and that kind of created a little mini firestorm among, you know, kind of on, among our users, so, so many of whom said that the pictures were fake, and some others said that they weren't. Um, so I, I wondered if, we, what did you make of of uh, the violence of the crackdown, and how violent was the crackdown actually? Like. According to your sources, were people killed? Because I've, I've read allegations that people were killed by by the troops. First of all, I want to talk about the, the you know the governance uh, issue, and because the, the, a trend in in in, in the globalization is is that um, uh, governments are uh, you know the role of of of, of nation states and role of govern government is 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 diminishing, and uh, in terms of you know. Uh, um, Appealing to um, capital investments and 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 um, and trade. So, in terms of uh, you know, uh, in, in case of Ghana, you know, we, we do see you know, uh, you know, a lack of capacity to monitor and to um, to enforce uh, its law in, in you know in terms of uh, environment, uh, you know, and and when I visited uh, the EPA in Ghana in two thousand eleven. I interviewed a, a um, officer there, and and they're 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 you know there are only four of them, and um, 
they they could they cannot uh, you know monitor uh, or, or hardly process uh, you know the EPA uh, environment pr- um, report of the big uh, mining companies uh, like Ashanti Gold and, and Anglo uh, Anglo Gold, not to mention these illegal mining activities. So they're they're they really uh, you know. Uh, Shorthanded, you know, um, they don't have the manpower resources to to enforce. Secondly, I want to talk about this, you know, how violent is the crackdown? Well, I I, I called some of um, of my sources in Ghana uh, who are actually in the uh, mining towns, for example, uh, um, uh, Donkwa, um, which is uh, a small town uh, near uh, the Ofen River. Um, what he says is that uh, there, there, there are cases of you know uh, armed robberies by the uh, um, um, task force in the evening after the official business. You know, um, they will come back in small groups, uh, try to uh, rob uh, some of these uh, uh, Chinese miners, and there were cases that uh, you know th- some of them are are beaten because they don't. Uh, understand the language, or they don't know what they would do to them. So they would uh, usually they will flee on the scene. So and in the chase, you know, um, there there will be some you know a uh, uh, beating involved. As for uh, those photos, um, uh, I've I've received several photos of of burning uh, living quarters uh, in the mining site sites, and and that is true. I think uh, because when they when they're looking for, when they're searching for Chinese illegal miners in the mining uh, sites, when when they didn't see the, the didn't see the people, they would just uh, destroy and burn uh, down the uh, uh, the living quarters, and also their their excavators and other equipments, um, so that they cannot come back and and, and continue. So it seems like a lot of it is un, unverified information, but it's obviously a, a point of tension. Um, it's probably not going to go away anytime soon in light of the fact that uh, the governance question still looms over this issue uh, and there still is so much money. I just, before we go, want to make one quick reference to the New York Times story that ran today on Sunday and how the fact that it explains the reverse side of the story and the complexities that exist in Shanglin in Guangxi province, uh, particularly in the a, in a Dateline town of uh, Mingliang, China, where mm-hmm. it talked a lot about how, you know, when we talk about the Chinese in Africa, and we're going to segue into our third subject here, it's this ambiguous kind of general term that sits out there. And what it means is that who are the Chinese? And I think this New York Times story today uh, really revealed the fact, the complexity in China of how people are putting together small fortunes, relatively speaking, to make it over right. to Ghana. Uh, they leverage their entire lives. They leverage their, le- their relatives' lives, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now that they've been sent back uh, with nothing to show for it, their lives are basically destitute. Uh, they're in financial ruin now. And so I really recommend people to look at that because one of the, the things that we've seen on our Facebook page and also in the media coverage as a whole is that people are very, very quick to demonize the other. 
you know, you you saw a lot of the you know the Chinese they get their de- just desserts. You saw on, on on Weibo and other Chinese social media, you know, just invective against the Africans and Ghanaians, which was just nasty. And so I think it's very easy to demonize. And when you look at Yang Zhao's piece and you look at this New York Times piece, uh, you recognize the fact that it is extremely complicated uh, on both sides. Kobus, uh, I'll give you the last word on this subject before we go on. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of, I couldn't but feel sorry for those for those miners. You know, kind of reading that New York Times piece. You know, some of them didn't only use all of their whole family's um, life savings; they also are now like up to like three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars in debt to loan sharks. So it's just awful. You know, kind of the whole the whole situation is awful. Um, and you one has to wonder whether there wasn't some way of handling it better. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, kind of it'll be, it'll set a precedent, you know, kind of for, for authorities in China and, and African countries to kind of work together more effectively. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just the human cost of this whole, of this whole situation. It was just, just nightmarish. Yeah. Look it up on New York Times. Ghana's crackdown on Chinese gold miners hits one rural area hard, uh, by Dan Levin. Dateline Mingliang, China. So between uh, Yang Zhao's piece on Deborah Baudigam's blog at China Africa Real Story and then this piece, I think you'll get a really good sense of how complex the story is. Um, just a quick plug for, uh, for, for the China Africa project. If you want to follow what we're doing in Chinese, we are on Weibo at Weibo.com slash Zhongfeixiangmu, which for those of you who speak Chinese is the China Africa project. So uh, Yang Zhao, are you on Weibo by any chance? Oh, yes. Good. So you should follow us. Uh, Already have followed you. Wonderful. And uh, I want to give a, a little hat tip to Eric Meister, who's uh, in Guilin, and he's manning the fort on our Weibo, uh, Weibo project. And then uh, we're also uh, – we, we run Android and iOS. So if you want to follow everything that we're doing on Facebook, the blog, uh, not Weibo, but Twitter, and, uh, and of course, this podcast, you can go to the Google Play Store and to the Apple iTunes Store, and you can download that. So let's move on to our, our final topic and – and, and this is one of the questions that I get asked the most when I'm asked to speak about the Chinese in Africa, which is, who exactly are the Chinese in Africa? And I, I often refer back to uh, some comments by, by Howard French, the, the former New York Times journalist. And he pointed out that we've, we're coming to the point or we are past the point where the vast majority of Chinese who are now in Africa – are not affiliated in any way with the the state. Now, originally, some of the earliest migrants were working on state-owned enterprise projects. They were diplomats. They were somehow connected with official China. The vast majority today are economic migrants. And this actually happens to be the specialty of Yang Jiao. You're studying uh, you know, entrepreneurial migrants in Ghana, but you're also familiar with some of the trends across the continent. And so when, you, when you're posed the question of the Chinese in Africa, how do you answer it as to who are the demographics that are there and why are they there? They're actually, you know, Chinese is 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 not is not uh, is very diverse across uh, the continent in, in Africa, and and you know you you have many categories of uh, of Chinese migrants in 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 Africa. I have categorized these these uh, so there are managers and uh, engineers, tech, uh, technical experts, and employees on contracts for state-owned enterprises or. Uh, Chinese company with state background, um, and also second, they're private sector company owners and managers, right? Uh, from small scale to large scale, small scale, a uh, large scale. For example, uh, Huawei is a big telecommunication company, right? Uh, and third, you have 
you know, entrepreneurs who are import export uh, wholesalers and traders, you know, from small scale to large scale in the informal and also formal uh, sectors. Now, there's no way to tell just how many Chinese are in Africa. There are no statistics. There's no one doing a census of any way. But no. based on your kind of guess, your 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 best estimate, when you look at these different categories of people. Do you have any sense of how large one category is versus another? So clearly the political staff used to be a large portion of the population before the economic migrants started to come. But now economic migrants are making their way in larger and larger numbers. So do you have any sense of the proportions that the, that the, the Chinese exist in Africa relative to the six or seven categories you just articulated? Right. So um, if we don't regard the, you know, uh, the time frame you know, the, the time they spend in, the, in, in, in each country, then the larger uh, number would be uh, contract laborers for these uh, infrastructure projects uh, and also, uh, you know, and also employees of, of these projects. For example, uh, uh, China Railway Corporation who are building railways and also uh, other um, uh, highways, you know, uh, and also big... Uh, telecommunication uh, companies like uh, at Huawei, they, they have at least in, in Ghana, they have like more than 200 uh, employees. We cannot, uh, um, you know, uh, neglect the, the traders, individual traders and wholesalers across the continent. And because there's, they, they're quite um, uh, visible in, the, in many of the markets in, in, in these African um, market cities. Um, and um, f- traditionally, for example, there, there, there are a lot of them in South Africa um, who open shops. You know, uh, Kobus, that seems to echo what almost all the research that I've ever seen. Uh, it's really one of the myths that's out there. And again, it was propagated by none other than President Obama this past weekend um, when he said that, you know, he alluded to the fact that if they're building infrastructure projects, they should hire local labor, again, without referencing the country in, in per se. Uh, but it, it, you wrote a piece this past week that was picked up by The Guardian and also for Think Africa Press, which talked about the frictions that occur between the Chinese and Africans. Uh, and, and, and you talked about is the fact that there are so many that are actually there and the fact that there are so many touch points for Chinese and African society to meet each other, that that invariably produces frictions, which in some sense you said was actually a positive thing. Tell us a little bit about your the piece you wrote uh, for Think Africa Press on this subject. Yes, this is a, it's a short piece. I think Africa Press asked, uh, asked different people, um, in the African studies field to, to write about where they think African and U.S. relations are going in the future. Um, and obviously my work, um, relates to China, Africa work, um, you know, kind of, and I wanted to look at the, um, Africa U.S. relations through the lens of, of China Africa relations. And, you know, the point I made is that the U.S. tends to, retreat into a kind of some kind of symbolic space where um you know the the way that i put it is that you there's two faces of the us in africa the one is is pop culture um and the other is military but you don't necessarily see the military the us military on the street in africa what it, rather it is this this kind of symbolic presence where you know that there are these american bases somewhere on the continent but people aren't necessarily 100% sure where they are. They don't know what they do, um, you know, because, among other reasons, because a lot of that information is classified. Um, so, you know, the U.S. is is sitting, 
you know, somewhere in the clouds, you know, kind of it, 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 it has a symbolic presence, but not really a physical presence. Um, and, you know, in, in comparison to that, there are actual Chinese people on the street. And so a lot of these interactions between Africans and Chinese can be very difficult and they can be very fraught, but at least they're real. You know, they're actually happening. Whereas, um, in, in, in the case of the U.S. and Africa, frequently the um, Africa feels that there is there is no space in which to answer the U.S. There's no space to talk back to the U.S. There's more of a one-way communication, you know, kind of which is just messages arriving from far away from this symbolic America that has no representative on the street. Frequently, not even a representative in terms of of a, of a company or a, a shop, you know, kind of because there's relatively you know, there are obviously American investment in Africa, um, but there's relatively l- less American investment in, in certain ways. So, um, you know, kind of my feeling was that at the same time, as, as all of this is happening, America still is massively influential. So, you know, kind of, so there is this, this symbolic influence, but no physical presence. And in the process, Africa feels more and more resentful and that the, the U.S.-Africa relationship is more and more becoming to be, to be defined by this kind of strange, vague, unease and resentment. And then I think that's really the key, the theme of our show today, Kobus, is the fact that it is complicated and it is impossible to, to characterize, you know, the entire continent, Africa, just as mm-hmm. it's impossible to characterize the Chinese. This is really, uh, you know, the, the, the study of the Chinese in Africa is really an exercise in nuance and detail. And, and really, anytime you see this press coverage or this rhetoric that comes out about, you know, the Chinese in Africa, I, I think it's, it's, it's worth standing back and going, and I think Yang Zhao's research really highlights the, 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 the complexity of this subject and what's so interesting. Yang Zhao, I, I need to tell you something that we have broken a record here on the show. We've been doing the show now for going on to two and a half years, and this is by far the longest show that we've had. <laughs> I think we could have had another two hours with you, but if we still have anybody listening to us, uh, we, are, we are over the one hour mark. So I did want to thank you for, for your time for joining us today. Um, do you, uh, do you. you? You're obviously on Weibo. What's your? Do you, what's your Weibo address and are you on Twitter or Facebook? Do you do anything in English so people can follow along your research and what you're doing? Right. Um, I have uh, a, a Twitter account but um, uh, called Sino Africa, but, but uh, I don't uh, maintain it quite often because um, I'm busy, still busy with my uh, 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 writing. So um, my, my Weibo account is Zhongfei uh, Mingjian Wanglai. Oh, excellent. So that's another China Africa uh, Weibo account. So for our Chinese uh, followers, right. you can you can go there and, of course, to Weibo.com slash Zhongfeixiangwu. And Kobus, uh, you're, you're tweeting and Facebooking uh, quite a bit these days. Where can people find you? Yes, I've been active on our Facebook page, um, and that's probably the easiest place to reach me. I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you'll find me on our Facebook page as well. Kobus and I identify ourselves when we comment with our names in brackets, so you can see who who's talking there. Uh, and I'm at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R on Twitter. So follow me there. I'm tweeting almost every day with the top headlines from China in Africa. And uh, we, we're back again next 
next Sunday with another edition of the China and Africa podcast. If you'd like to follow the show, please do so by subscribing on iTunes. You can, of course, listen to us on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on your iOS phone, your Android phone, on the BlackBerry network. So we're trying to be absolutely everywhere we need to be to make it as easy for you to follow us as possible. And if you have time, we would greatly appreciate uh, a, a little uh, a vote on iTunes, as it does help it make it easier for other people to find the show. So until next Sunday, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.